all of my success over the years has been because whatever I attempted to do or accomplished, I could quantify. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broadmike. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired. Take action. Think broad. I am in the studio this morning with the legendary Janet Hansen, founder of 85 Broads. Right out of Columbia Business School, she was the first woman in Goldman's history to be promoted into sales management. She founded an institutional money management firm. She's been the face uh, leading investment in women-founded companies, including LearnVest. Janet, it is great to have you here on Broadmike. Thanks, Kelly. I'm delighted. So you've done a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Wall Street... 85 Broads, Milestone Capital. Um, What do you think, you know, in terms of your background and your life story enabled you to do all that? Uh, I would say that luck probably played a huge role. Um, And I think recognizing opportunity when it presents itself. I think I have always been really good at recognizing opportunity. I'm going to say that's a very unique skill. I think more of us wish we we had that. And I, you know, I always want to think about when having, you know, I would say the the great pleasure of working with you, um, just your desire to know more and that curiosity to find out more about other people or what was, uh, I would say, what's the latest and, and greatest thing that, you know, is happening that whether it should be adopted or we should, whether we should be taking it on. Um, I think... You know, I would start with, you know, just my earlier years um, because I think everything uh, that happened to me when I was younger really was very formative in terms of um, how my life has turned out or played out. Um, I am the middle child. Uh, My brother's a year older. My sister's a year younger. So I think I always you know, was trying to figure out ways to stand out, to differentiate myself. And um, I think I really viewed life through a very serendipitous lens. Um, I wanted to play golf uh, when I was growing up. Um, Wasn't all that good, but uh, managed to get a job running the pro shop at the St. Andrews Golf Club, uh, the oldest men's golf club in Hastings-on-Hudson, my hometown. Um, Met a lot of extraordinary uh, folks uh, through through that uh, platform, and uh, that was really the beginning of uh, really every every successful uh, you know adventure that I've had throughout my entire life. Um, I met Dan Crowley, uh, who was a member of the club, and um, he thought that I was way too smart to uh, be running a pro shop at a golf club. And he just announced one day um, that it was time for me to go to Columbia Business School. And I just graduated from Wheaton College, a small women's college in Massachusetts. And I said, well, uh, that's not going to happen. 
I said, because, you know, I stopped taking math in the 10th grade. I have no quantitative ability that I'm aware of. And he didn't care. Um, he said, I like your attitude. I like your go get it, go get it, uh, go get them kind of, uh, you know, kind of love for life. And um, so I applied at the age of 21 uh, to Columbia Business School, and I managed to get in. Um, I had the worst board scores they'd ever seen, um, and I matriculated when I was 22 years old. Um, I think I was probably the youngest uh, person in my class. I knew absolutely nothing, um, but it was taking the chance, um, even though I thought to myself the likelihood that I am going to be – that I'm going to fail at this is close to 100 percent. That's like extraordinary, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking, okay, for all the years I've known you and the, all the times we've chatted, I've never heard that story. Uh, and I think it's so important. We so often we we take a job or a task, and we look at it what it is is just getting that job done, as opposed to what is the bigger opportunity within that. And this story with the pro shop is extraordinary. Uh, we hear so much now in the tech world of like, oh, there's no women and and a lot of women not wanting to be that first woman. Um, you've been there. You've been that first woman. And any advice or guidance or tips or what have you to, to encourage other women to say, hey, what the heck, be the first? Um, well, I was actually the second. Anne Brown was the first. Um, so, And she got there in 73 after she graduated from, from the Wharton Graduate School of Business. And uh, it, was, it was the most exciting thing I'd ever had the opportunity to do. One, because I joined fixed income sales and trading and I was on a very big trading floor, which is out in the open, um, and so everybody can see you. Um, and and that plays particularly well, I think, to a female female strengths. Um, again, very social atmosphere. Uh, loved uh, client interaction. Uh, got along with all the traders. Um, so it was an extraordinarily good career move for me, and I would highly recommend it, um, that career path to other women. Um, and it also, it also, you know, it's trial by fire, and um, you're only as good as your last trade. And um, um, you have to cultivate not only your colleagues, um, but also your clients. And the key to success, I think, in that particular um, particular uh, job is everything you do is quantifiable. Um, and so all of my success over the years has been because whatever I attempted to do or accomplished, I could quantify. Um, and I think for women, that's incredibly important. And so in a very short order, I became one of the highest producing salespeople in the division. Um, and so at that point, it didn't matter if I was male or female. It was that I was really good at what I did. Maybe uh, I love that story. And maybe it's one of those things. Instead of looking at the work environment in terms of its composition of men versus women uh, or diversity, looking at it as the skill set 
and the tasks to be done? And is this something that can quantify my contribution so I can be recognized um, right. as opposed to overlooked or passed over? Right. And I think the, you know, it's not intuitively obvious that women would do exceptionally well in a trading atmosphere. And yet so many women, um, certainly all the women that I worked with, um, had extraordinary career runs at Goldman Sachs. Um, And I think it gives you an opportunity to lead in a very public setting. So you have this very large trading floor. There are no walls. Um, And so people can see you taking on leadership roles. They see how you interact with colleagues, with, with, you know, people who are are senior to you. Um, And I think, you know, the thing that was exciting for me was as the firm was moving, you know, in a more diverse direction, and that would be throughout the 80s into the 90s, um, I saw opportunity to lead. Um, and, you know, I I wanted to be the head of sales. I wanted to be the, the manager in charge of our desk. And so I asked for the job on numerous occasions. Um, and one of my funniest stories, I'm glad to think that it is, I think about it in a, in a humorous way now, but um, I lived in Bronxville and which is 30 minutes outside of the city at the time. And we actually had an earthquake. And it, the epicenter was in Ardsley, which is about 20, 30 minutes away from my house. And it was a 7.0 on the Richter scale and shook me out of my bed. I thought I'd had a gas main explosion. I got in my car, in my pajamas, drove down to the town of Bronxville and all these other people walking around. I said, wow, that's weird. Not all these people could have had a gas main explosion. Um, And so it suddenly dawned on me something else had happened. And sure enough, it was an earthquake. And it had been the the tremor that had shaken my house. So I got to work that morning. And I rode up in the elevator with the partner in charge of fixed income sales. I said, hey, you're not going to believe this. But there was actually an earthquake. And I ran out of my house in my PJs. Uh, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, uh, absolutely terrified. So a couple of months later, uh, when I was being considered uh, for the job of head of New York money market sales, I was told that I was going to be turned down because I'd panicked during the earthquake and had shown that I was not management material because I didn't remain calm during that earthquake. Um, and so I think for lesser mortals, they would have said, okay, wait, that's that's like really bullshit. Um, and I just said, okay, okay, maybe not today, but uh, I'm going to stick at it. And eventually I was made uh, the co-manager. They made me the co-manager with uh, one of the guys of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the sales desk. So I think it was perseverance and um, thinking that that was the dumbest thing that I'd ever heard and, and not letting it stop or deter me from my from my quest to have play a really meaningful leadership role at Goldman Sachs. I want to say I'm part of me is just like 
laughing and trying to hold back my profanities, but okay, so perseverance, don't let don't let anyone, you know, knock you off your your end game and your goal and, you know, don't share pajama stories in the elevator. I mean, you know, what what else can you say cuz anything else is just it's just absolutely ridiculous. All right, well, let's talk 85 broads. There's there's a couple of aspects of it I I really want to get to. Um because I, I think the things that either there's confusion or people don't know about. So, let's deal with the first one. Um, for people who don't know, how did the name come about? <laughs> um, I was actually out walking my dogs one day in Bronxville, and I'd been trying to figure out. And I, I had the concept, but I didn't have the name. And 85 Broads is just a humorous riff on Goldman's former headquarter address, which is 85 Broad Street. And the concept, this was 1997 when 85 Broads was first launched, was very, very simple. Um, it was... It was that I saw a huge need um, to connect women like me who had had an extraordinary career run at Goldman. Um, sort of it was – I was in essence an alum of the firm um, with young women who were coming up, uh, you know, in their first couple of years at, at Goldman. And there, the reason was there really weren't enough – female mentors at the firm to 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 mentor all these fabulous young women um, who were joining the firm as analysts and associates. Um, and I approached Goldman Sachs, um, you know, about my idea, approached them uh, in the early 90s. Uh, I, I saw that there was a huge need uh, for somebody to act as sort of a go-between or connector to women who had left the firm with women who were at the firm, and uh, they showed absolutely no interest whatsoever. Um, they said thanks, but no thanks. And um, so I said, okay, um, you know, I'm going to invite, you know, some of my best friends, uh, you know, people that I had, had worked with at Goldman Sachs, and I'd be incredibly remiss, not at this point, to mention that the person who influenced me more than anyone in my career and then post-career, post-Goldman career was Sarah Weinheimer. And um, Sarah was one of the founding team of 85 Broads. And we had um, this wonderful uh, dinner at the Water Club in uh, 1997. Um, And we thought this was such a great idea. And Sarah had been one of the greatest traders uh, at Goldman Sachs. Um, just a, an extraordinary talent. And, um, you know, so we said, hey, let's let's do this. Let's form 85 Broads. And it lasted about, you know, one night. And um, the problem was it was like going to a high school or a college reunion. Felt great when you were together, but there was no efficient way to stay together or to stay connected. Um, so it wasn't until the Internet really started to come into being uh, that we figured that we could take 85 Broads, this sort of alumni club of uh, women from the fixed income division, and turn it into 85broads.com. And um, Reed Abelson, who was one of the great writers for the New York Times, did a piece in uh, the New York Times in October of 1999, it took up almost the entire front page of the business section of the Times. And I had gotten her, uh, she had promised me 
that she would not write what I called the bitter babe story, that women, you know, uh, don't have uh, wonderful careers on Wall Street or or hated their jobs. And I said, if you write the bitter babe story, I'll kill you. <laughs> and um, so she didn't. She wrote a really, really great piece. And, um, you know, 85broads.com from that day took off. And one of probably one of the greatest moments of my life um, was the management committee meeting that happened that day at Goldman Sachs. And Hank Paulson, who was the CEO, turned to his fellow uh, management committee members and said, who gave Janet Hansen permission to do that? Um, and and when that story got back to me through one of the guys who was on the management committee, I said, that that just made my day. We actually had a really great uh, relationship with the firm because we wanted to be um, you know, this extraordinary, uh, you know, we wanted to compliment the firm. We wanted to be a great reflection on the firm that women could have extraordinary careers there. Um, and it absolutely took off. And we were very, very young in terms of where, what was going on with the internet back then. I mean, we were way ahead of the curve and we, we just got lucky. And this whole concept of connecting women um, through what we called, I can't even bear to even say it to this day, but I will. We called it our cyber clubhouse. Um, uh, the concept worked because we didn't have to go back into the physical plant. We didn't have to go back into 85 Broads where we hadn't been in, or 85 Broad Street, excuse me, where we hadn't been invited. Um, we could create this amazing connection between, between women who, would, who had worked at the firm and with women who were were there, and it exploded. So let's talk about one of the other bits of 85 Broads that people may not realize, and this is the summer of 2005 when you had a um, extraordinary group of interns, and you had a project you called Market Clout. Um, do you want to talk about what that was and who those interns were and what they're up to now? Sure. I started to get emails from women who said, I'd like to come and in, in intern for you this summer. And this was the summer of 2005. And I thought, well, gee, we got plenty of space here. I mean, that sounds great. And they were very interested in learning more about what Milestone Capital did. And so I got one request and I said, okay, you can come. And then I got another request and I said, okay, you can come. And so it turned out that I had four gals uh, who, who, uh, um, joined from Harvard, four from Princeton, two from Middlebury, and one gal who was between her first and second year at the Wharton Graduate School of Business. I probably could have had 50 um, if, if, if I'd allowed that many women to come. But at 11, I said, okay, that's it. So they all showed up. And I said, okay, gals, um, you know, this is a money market fund. We We manage institutional uh, liquidity for, for very large institutions, not really thinking that this is something you're going to find all that interesting. I said, so let's figure out, you know, what you are going to work on this summer. Let's come up with a really interesting project. So we went into the conference room and I said, um, you know, what, 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 do you, what do you gals care about? And so they started talking about their coursework and, you know, they were interested in learning more about investing. And I said, well, you know, that on that note, I said, how come, you know, young women don't care? Why are they not interested in investing? 
And so the immediate response was, because it's boring. And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then you guys have to figure out how to make it so that it's interesting to your cohort, to women, uh, you know, who are in college. How can you turn it into something interesting? So we came up with this 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 incredible um, business, actually, called Market Clout. And the tagline was, invest in what you love. And so the concept was incredibly simple, which is, if you own an iPod, buy the stock. If you love your Apple products, buy the stock. Um, if you have 10 pairs of designer jeans from Levi's, buy the stock. Um, and so we we really, uh, you know, did a deep dive on that whole concept. And so when you queried these women about brands, they really knew their stuff. And they had enormous confidence in why one brand uh, was better than another um, and to 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 an amazing degree. And so what Market Clout really was, was getting women interested in investing by getting them to talk about brands that they loved and then making the jump, um, you know, to saying, okay, if I love the brand or I I own the product. I'm going to buy the stock. So we actually put 75000 real dollars in a Fidelity account. And the women who all these young gals um, came up with two or three stock picks. And we actually created a portfolio. Um, and it was incredibly exciting. One of the gals uh, from Harvard was Alexa Von Tobel. And Alexa, Alexa, was absolutely blown away by the power of the story, of how important, you know, creating the storyline was to getting other women, um, young women at Harvard, uh, to to really embrace this whole concept of investing. One of the interesting things that I had found was almost all of these gals had joined their investment clubs on their various campuses. They were heavily male-dominated, and after one or two meetings, dropped out. Um, and so they were really interested in learning more but didn't know how to create sort of a community that worked for them. Um, one of the other interns was Tracy Britt. Um, Tracy was at Harvard, and she was in the process of launching Smart Women Securities, um, which was a very similar concept, again, teaching young women um, about investing at Harvard and then on other campuses. Um, Tracy Britt uh, went on to graduate from Harvard, went straight to Harvard Business School, and uh, from there jumped to working for Warren Buffett in Omaha. And um, she is now Tracy Britt Cool. Um, she runs several of Warren's businesses. Um, and I think she really got her you know, the, the the excitement around investing really started in the summer of 2005. Um, Megan Muntean and Stacey Borden, Megan from Princeton, Stacey from Harvard, launched a company called ChickRx um, uh, at, at some point down the road that it was actually acquired. Um, uh, Megan now has a very senior job at, um, at Bustle. Um, so a number of these gals, you know, went on to do something very entrepreneurial, and I would have to say the person I am proudest of um, is certainly Alexa Von Tobel because 
Uh, you know, she actually also went to Harvard Business School, stayed for a semester, dropped out, launched LearnVest. And I was one of the first people that she approached um, to invest in LearnVest. And um, she also needed me to introduce her to other other great women uh, in my network, um, you know, who might be potential investors. I introduced her to Jackie Zayner and Ann Kaplan, two former partners uh, who I had worked with at Goldman Sachs, and both Ann and Jackie invested. And I would have to say the rest is history. When did you realize that 85 Broads was a, a source of deal flow? As I met these really extraordinary women, um, you know, whether it was the summer of 2005 and creating Market Cloud and and what that led to, um, or other women who were joining 85 Broads wanting to do something very entrepreneurial. And so a number of young women started to take the chance um, and say, hey, you know, I think I've got what it takes. Um, I'm really passionate about uh, starting, you know, this business or that business. And I said, okay, um, I want to invest in you. And so I I very much, um, you know, put my my money where my big mouth was. And um, I invested in a number of startups. Um, and they weren't all started by women who were in their earlier mid-20s, some were in their 30s or 40s. And um, and the more I invested, the more I shared that information and that um, my excitement with everybody in the network. And we had, um, you know, at, at by 2013, we had uh, over 30,000 women in the network worldwide. And what was incredibly exciting was this this entrepreneurial um, fever uh, was really, really happening globally. And so I got to invest in a yoga yoga studio in Dubai, um, which was really one of the coolest investments I ever made. Um, And I really wanted to make sure that 85 Broads as a platform um, was viewed uh, not just as a network where women could commune or discuss, you know, job issues or, uh, you know, whatever their hopes or dreams were, that it was really a platform where they could leverage, you know, other women's intellectual capital and financial capital um, to create these fabulous businesses. And that really became the hallmark of 85 Broads. Yeah, it's just not not enough just to get together and have a nice conversation. Uh, as I like to say, you know, the pom-poms are all great, but, you know, let's put them down and write some checks and really move women's businesses ahead. So, all right, now we get to, not that the rest of this wasn't fun, now we get to really fun part. These are the pay-it-forward questions, Janet. I ask them of every guest. So, top of mind, your fast answers. Here we go. What are your primary sources of information? Um, right off the bat, I would say my two kids. And so, well, maybe it's the same answer for the second question. How do you discover new information? Well, that actually, um, you know, aside from from listening very carefully uh, to my kids and what they're listening to, you know, how they use their devices, you know, what's important to them, um, I'm actually a cable news junkie. Um, (laughs) 
So I have CNBC on from the beginning of the day, Morning Joe. I love um, so, and particularly because we're in a very exciting uh, political season. So uh, very heavily, uh, you know, I, I I love listening to what's happening live uh, on cable. And what book are you reading? Um, the book that I have enjoyed more than any book in a in a very long time is Dan Brown's book Boys in the Boat. What rituals or habits do you swear by? Uh, Ariana Huffington's um, uh, Get you know, mantra about Get, getting enough sleep. Get yeah. enough sleep. Um, who are the three entrepreneurs or leaders you admire? I would would have to say Sheryl Sandberg definitely at the top of the list. I admire her for her courage. Um, Anne Marie Slaughter. Um, somebody who I think uh, put herself out there, the Gotham gal, Joanne Wilson, what Joanne has done in the last four or five years for women in the entrepreneurial space is nothing short of incredible. Yeah. Uh, she's all, Those three choices, phenomenal. What's the best advice you ever received? Um, one that a phrase that I am definitely, uh, if I have a tombstone, uh, I will have on my tombstone, remember to laugh out loud and make your own luck. Absolutely the best advice I ever got. I, okay, I'm going to laugh out loud because I, I absolutely love that. Any particular myths you would like to dispel for our listeners? Um, just to close out, yes. Uh, I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, negativity around um, around Wall Street, certainly after the uh, the collapse of the housing market in 08, 09. Um, I think that turned off a lot of young women in particular to perhaps pursuing a career on Wall Street. There is massive value um, in getting a rigorous education uh, in how the street works. I think it is an amazing uh, jumping off place, uh, particularly for young women. And I think, um, you know, the myth is uh, Wall Street is, uh, you know, people are dishonest or, you know, they're greedy, whatever. Um, I think it is one of the smartest ways. If you want to become an entrepreneur, um, go and cultivate um, your colleagues at any one of the Wall Street firms who will then become probably your most significant backers down the road. What words of advice would you give to listeners about taking risks and closing the confidence gap? Uh, vote for Hillary, actually. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I do think that we're going to see this groundswell movement of women really embracing their their specialness, their um, intelligence. Um, they're going to watch Hillary do it. Um, and I think they're going to want to run that very same race. I think it's really important, and I think Hillary is is a, a perfect example of the importance of quantifying, being able to quantify your results. And Hillary has a a tremendous track record, and she's running on that track record. Um, and I think the more you can qualify your body of experience. Um, in a way that really resonates with, uh, you know, future investors, um, uh, you know, is a really, really smart thing to do. That has stood me in good stead throughout my entire life. 
And what does think broad mean to you? It means open your mind. It means think expansively. It means, you know, go for it. Take a chance. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Broad Mike. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook, where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover Broad Mike and grow the Broad Mike community. Broad Mike is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think Broad.